For our scripture reading this morning, you can turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 8 through 17. Beginning in verse number 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this time in our service, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that according to your sovereign plan and purpose, men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write down your word for us. And Lord, we thank you that down through the centuries, that according to your providential plan, you have preserved it for us down to this day. And we thank you that you have allowed it to be translated for us in our own language as well. We thank you that you are fulfilling your perfect plan that you have foretold us in your word down to this very day as we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning as we come to this portion of your word in the book of Romans, in this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, We pray that you would give us your grace as we study it, as we hear a sermon about it. We pray that the Holy Spirit would move among us in a powerful way to apply the word to us for your glory and for the good of the hearer. We ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand so that we may not only hear, but believe and obey the word of truth. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good to have our uh, Bibles in our hands this morning. Always good to gather together. And, of course, we, uh, on occasion, we, we deviate just a little bit from uh, what we would normally be doing through the book of Acts, of course, and so on. Um, this morning, what a pleasure it is, amen, that we can gather together, we can open our Bibles together, we can have God instruct us, amen, concerning the glorious gospel, 
I mean, it is truly a glorious thing. And so, this morning, in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 18 through 21, we find these holy words. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, he, uh, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Amen. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now this is an amazing thing. Again, what we want to, well, there's a few words here in the text that I want us to consider this morning. And she shall bring forth a son. It's a very important, brother, amen, because so often what happens when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, when we consider the gospel, and I think theologically, so my brain just goes to all the theology, but what I want to do this morning is, is uh, if you will, have us focus on the man, the man Jesus Christ, the Savior, God who came in the flesh, amen. And so there's some theology that's going to be in it. There's going to be some doctrine in it. But really what we're concerned with this morning as we consider this is the man. I want you to listen to this. He will bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall save his people from their, what? From their sins. Amen. So here we see in the Gospel of Mark, the very opening chapter, we see presented to us a person, a man-child, a savior. Amen. This is the hope of Israel. This is the hope of all of us this morning, that God would indeed be so gracious to us that he would indeed send to us a man-child, a son, a savior. It's a stunning thing. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, we find these, this inspired conversation. Listen to these words, brethren. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye might know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. So Jesus, right before his crucifixion, he's being brought out again in his sixth trial. Amen. Three by the Jews, three by the Romans, found innocent by all the, Jew, by all the Romans. The Jews wanted him dead. And Pilate simply brings him out and he says, I present to you the man before his crucifixion. It's an amazing thing. This man, this God-man. The Apostle Paul, as he was carried along by the Holy Ghost, wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, these words. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave it I in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, we are presenting this morning a man, a person, a Savior, amen? The perfect sacrifice that God brought forth. This is what we see presented to us in the gospel. It is such a glorious thing to think about this. In fact, Paul also wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, for there is one God. There is indeed one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You see this here again. There's a pattern, brother. And he is presenting much more than theology. And again, theology dictates what we believe about Christ. Doctrine dictates that. But we are presented over and over again with a man, with a with the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now it's important, isn't it, brethren, as we consider this. I say all of that 
to have us understand that we are not followers of a philosophy. Brethren, it is much deeper than that. We're not just followers of a philosopher. Amen? Not at all. Not in the least bit are we following that. We are following a person, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is important, brother. The gospel, again, is not just another ideology, another set of self-helps. I mean, how often do we see that presented? The gospel is some sort of self-help. No, brethren, it's not. It's not that. It's much more than that. It's not just another theory, another hypothesis. It's none of those stuff. Or another way. <laughs> just another way for someone to find their way to God, amen, in the cesspool of relativism. That is not what the gospel is. That is not what the Lord Jesus Christ... It is in him, it is in the person of Christ that the gospel actually dwells. Do you understand that? It is in the person of Christ that the gospel dwells. In fact, in the totality of the person of Christ, we find there his eternal sonship, his birth, his life, his, if you will, holy life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his doctrines, all of them, brethren, are tied up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at our text, it is interesting that as you look in Holy Writ, as you look in Scripture, the word gospel, now I'm just talking about in the New Testament, the word gospel is emanating itself. It shines itself forth some 98 times. And there are different variances of what the gospel is depending on the context. But here this morning in our text, the gospel that we're talking about is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. In fact, Paul here, as he's led by the Spirit of God, defines for us what he means by that. Look there, if you would, at verse number 15, if you would, Romans chapter 10. Look at verse number 15, and again, there's no guessing, there's no man-made thought, there's no, hey, what do I think about it? What does God say the gospel is? This is what we're going to see in our text. It's all about what God says. It's all about confessing what God says. It's all about believing what God says. Not the liberals who, when they discuss the resurrection, it's just, it's just amazing, isn't it, brethren? When you think about his actual physical bodily resurrection from the grave. You know, you got to say that now as a fundamentalist. You have to make sure and say that because there's people out there this morning, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I am because it is the gospel. It is the foundation of the gospel, the resurrection of, from him from the dead. Brothers, our faith is the foundation there is found. <laughs> Many this morning don't know what happened. They'll stand up this morning and say, we're not sure what happened, but we know something cool happened. No, brethren. There is no wondering. There is no trying to figure it out. God is explicit in his word. If you believe his word, brethren, this is it. This is very important. But look here how he defines it for us. Look at verse number 15, Romans chapter 10. Again, a familiar portion to all of us. The Bible says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring what? Glad tidings of good things. So in a nutshell, brethren, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection, and all those things that are tied to him as a person, that is good news, brethren. But it's interesting, isn't it? The kind of community, the kind of 
world that we live in today. I mean, I love good news. Don't you guys like good news? I love good news. And that's certainly good news. But in order for one to rightly hear, to rightly receive the gospel as good news and glad tidings, God, who is the first great cause in one's salvation, must supernaturally, brother, this is the thing, right? To understand the good news of the gospel, the gloriousness of the gospel, God must supernaturally ring into the spiritually dead one's ears the inspired bad news. See, everybody wants good news, but first there's bad news, amen? And we notice the order here. We're in chapter 10 of Romans. You look and see how God laid that thing out there with Paul, but he first brings the bad news, the inspired bad news. In fact, it's news, brethren, that is contrary to what we're taught. Contrary to what people believe for the most part today. If you ask someone, a lost person, are you a good person? What are they going to say? Oh, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. You, you bet I am. I'm a great person. Hell, have you ever lied? Well, yeah, I guess I have. Well, then you've broken one of the commandments of God. Amen. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Oh, yes, I've done that. Well, then you're not a good person. You have indeed broken the law of God. In fact, Paul, under the inspiration of God, gives us this inspired, if you will, bad news. And I want you to see this, amen, again, because this elevates, this elevates the glad tidings Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 10 to those who believe. Look at Romans chapter 3 again. We see here, again, brethren, this is inspired news. This is what God says. This is what the Bible says concerning the condition of a lost man. Now, again, I know. We're not taught that, we're not told that, but this is what God says. And brethren, again, when one realizes this supernaturally, that this is our spiritual condition when we are lost, there is no greater news than the gospel. There is nothing that rings into the ear of a lost man, woman, or child than the great news that the Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and you can be forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the person of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 3 again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to all of us, but I want you to see again what God says. This isn't Pastor Mike saying this, not at all. This is Paul as he was inspired by God to tell Tertius to write this down for all of eternity. Now listen how God, now this is how God sees us. And again, brethren, this is important because the good news that's to come is great news. It's glorious news. Would you understand how God sees us? Look what we see there in verse number, uh, well, look at verse number nine. What then? Paul's talking about Jew and Gentile here. Are we any better? Look what he says there. Uh, uh, are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Look at verse 10. As it is written, and we could quote this, there is none righteous, no, not one, unless you're different than I was and am. The Bible says there's no one, no, not one, righteous, not one. Again, unless you're different and you're not. Look at what he says. Listen to the description there. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. None. 
Do you understand the condition of men when they're lost before, the Holy, before God draws them and the Holy Spirit of God opens their heart to understand this? It is a stunning thing because religiosity, religious people, they wander around thinking they're good people. That God is going to use the scale of justice for them. And brethren, you don't want God to use the scale of justice. You're not going to, God is not going to stand there and go, well, let's see, Mike, here's your good deeds. Here's your bad deeds. We hope that, man, we hope your good deeds outweigh your bad ones. Well, brethren, I'm telling you, they don't. You want to see my scale? Bad deeds. And the reality of it, Holy Writ says, that when we break the law in one place, we're guilty of what? All of it. You understand when you lied to your parents, when you, uh, uh, when you well, just pick, pick one, one of the sins. When you understand that when you stole something, you broke God's command. Now listen, brethren, if you, if you keep the law the rest of your life, if you never steal again, you realize you don't get extra credit for that. God doesn't say, oh, Mike never stole again. I'm going to give him credit. Actually, no, because you don't get extra credit for simply doing what the law requires you to do. It's not school, brethren. It's not fifth grade where the teacher says, hey, Mike, if I never, well, I never got extra credit. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I mean, I was gone. Well, they were all wondering where I was. But think of this, brother. No, you don't get extra credit. You don't. You are condemned. Because you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You keep the law the rest of your life. You don't get extra credit. You are indeed condemned. Now, brethren, when you begin to understand that, when there's none righteous, when there's none that seeketh after God, listen here, look what the Bible says. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Paul is emphasizing our lost spiritual condition. This is the condition of dead men and dead women. In fact, verse 18 says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. You realize that the Holy Spirit, that's one of the things when he regenerates you, there becomes this awareness of who God is. There becomes this awareness that God is holy and I am not. That is generated by the Spirit of God. He regenerates one's mind one's heart to get a hold and grasp a hold of that. Because what does that do then, brother? It makes the gospel what? Really good news. Outstanding, glad tidings. This is what it, that's what it did to me. When I was lost, I had no care for the things of God. Nothing. I sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and didn't even hardly even think about it, brother. Until the Lord began to draw me and he regenerated my heart that I could look and say, I am a sinner. I am this person that Paul's talking about. I did not seek after God. I was not seeking for him. He was seeking me. It's an amazing thing. Look there, if you would, at verse 19. Look what happens. Because we're all like this. The Bible says, Paul wrote in verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may what? Become guilty before God. You realize we're guilty before God because we've sinned against God. Not only that, he brings us all into it. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned. That means all, brethren. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, again, brethren, that is <laughs> extremely bad news. That is inspired bad news. But again, as I said, it's an amazing thing. When the lost sheep, this is the glorious thing about the working of God in all of this. When the lost sheep hears their Savior's voice concerning this matter, and they will, and they do. When the lost sheep hears the Savior, their Savior's voice concerning the matter of their condi condition, brethren, it generates deep down in the soul, deep down in the soul and in the heart, a profound love and understanding of the glorious gospel. Until that happens, one cannot begin to appreciate the gospel as God presents it to us. We are not just neutral good people wandering around. We are not. And until one understands that, you will then understand the judgment of God, and he will use that. It's an amazing thing. He just absolutely rings loudly in the ears of the lost sheep, these glad tidings and good things. It's a stunning thing, brethren, when you figure that out. Now, I want you to see there in Romans chapter 10, as we see here the good news it is as it unfolds, as it begins to be presented. The bad news is there, and brethren, you never should leave anyone, right, Brother Keith, right, brethren, when we're out street preaching and stuff, you don't leave them there. Never. You don't say you're condemned, you're not good, you're not righteous, you're none of these things. You open the gospel door. You present it like Paul presents it here, as he is directed by God to do so. Look there, if you would, at verse number 8. I want to draw your attention to what Paul does. Look at the first four words. But what saith it? Brethren, what a glorious thing Paul does here. It's a stunning thing. You think, well, that's just four words. Yeah. He begins verse 8 here with the indispensable truth that one must seek out and believe. Listen, brethren. God's testimony concerning what we're going to be reading here. One must seek out and believe not what Mike says, not what some liberal says, but what God says. And again, brethren, I bring you back to the Bible, as Paul constantly brings one back to the Bible, constantly over and over again. It is what God says, not what I think, not what my opinion is, but what does God say concerning the matter? In fact, in verse 8, he says there, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Well, where's that written at? Well, it's written in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So he's referring back to the Old Testament. He says it's written there. This is what God says concerning this matter. He's not done. Look at verse 11. Look at verse number 11. For the scripture what? Saith. There it is again. He's referring to the scriptures again. This is our foundation. This is what Paul is preaching, what God has said. This is the final, if you will, dictate on the matter. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen? Well, where's that come from? Psalms chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. Again, he's referring back to scripture. Check the scriptures, brethren. If Pastor Mike or some other pastor is standing up here preaching... You do the Berean thing, just like they do here. Well, what's he saying? Well, is that what the scripture says? Go look it up. That's what it says. 
Verse 15. Look at verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Where's that written at? Well, it's Isaiah 52. Amen? Isaiah 52, verse 7. Look at verse 16. He does it again. Again, not what Paul thinks, not what I think, not what Howard thinks, not what anyone else thinks. What does God say? And again, that comes later here because the confession is all about what we're talking about. Confession is not acknowledging Jesus. <laughs> it's not. I'm just going to acknowledge him. I'm just going to say his name. No, brethren. The confession we're talking about here is you agreeing with what God says about him. That's what this confession means. It doesn't mean I'm going to stand up here and confess Jesus. You realize the demons. <laughs> brethren. When Jesus walked around on the earth, what did the demons say to him over and over again? We know who you are. They know who he is. They acknowledge who he is. But they are not saved by any stretch of the imagination. This is what Paul is leading up to. The confession is not about me saying Jesus' name. The confession is me understanding Jesus as God presents him. What God has already said. That's what it is. That's where salvation is comes in look at verse 16 again but they have not all obeyed the gospel for isaiah saith lord who hath believed our report well where does that come from isaiah 53 again he's what did god say what does god say on the matter look at verse 17 again this is the power of the word of god this is why if you go to a place if you go to a fellowship and they don't have their bibles out and they're not reading their bibles they're not preaching the bible leave right away because you are in trouble. You know why? Listen to verse 17. Again, the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. That's the power this morning. It isn't me. It's not me preaching and sliding down the slide and shooting bubbles and all this stuff. It's the word of God. The seriousness of the word of God. What does God say concerning my condition? The foundation of Paul's preaching concerning the God-man, the person, the Savior, is indeed what God says about him. Amen? Look at verses 9 and 10. And again, he lays that groundwork there because 9 and 10 is so important. He lays it all out there, gets that foundation nice and sound, and then he says this. Look at verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt what? Confess with thy mouth. Even, uh, or, uh, that, but if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt what? Be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul tells us here, brethren, as he has already laid the foundation, what does God say? He tells us here that the heart and the mouth, this is important, brethren, are both involved in our salvations. Do you, do you understand that? The heart and the mouth are both involved, indicating two different things. It's an amazing thing. They are indispensable and tethered together here as Siamese twins. You know what Siamese twins are? I know I could, I could ask one of the kids, a Siamese twin. That's where they're glued together. They're stuck together. 
And the only way to do it is to do some surgery. They can do it now, but there was a time when a Siamese twin was a Siamese twin for life. There was no separating the two. This is what we have here. The mouth and the heart are Siamese twins tethered together in the belief of the gospel. It's an amazing thing. The lost sheep must confess with their mouth the lordship of Christ. Brethren, don't ever forget that. Jesus is not just your savior. He is your Lord. Okay? He's not just your savior. He is Lord. He's either Lord and savior or he's nothing. Actually, because he indicates here that they must first confess the Lord Jesus Christ with their mouth, indicating a, if you will, surrendering to his lordship. But again, that word confess means to say something about. When one believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saying something out loud. We do. We say things out loud concerning him. In other words, a lost one comes to the place where he says and believes the same thing about the Lord Jesus that God the Father has already said about him. That's what this means. It doesn't mean that I read the text and I get to make up my own Jesus. I get to make up the own, my own man in my image. You don't want Jesus in my image or in your image. You want Jesus in the image of God who is perfect and holy and sinless and forbearing. Oh my. It's amazing. That's what this confession means. It doesn't mean I get to make up my own Jesus. I get to go find him out here, and, you know, up in a tree over here somewhere, or sitting in a lily pad someplace. No, brethren. It's an amazing thing. To believe in the heart. Listen, brethren, this is important. The mouth makes confession of who God says Jesus is. The heart is another matter. It is the innermost part of a person. It goes deep down, brother, to a place that only you and God know and can see. I can't see that. God can and God does. It goes to the very thought and intent of who you think Jesus is. It's an amazing place. It is a secret place that only you and God can see. And it is there where one must believe, brethren, that God did indeed raise Jesus bodily from the dead. You make a confession with your mouth. I want you to see one of the greatest confessions in all of Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see this. I want you to see what happens. And even here we're told that God reveals this to Peter. He confessed the great one of the well a confession i believe one has to make to be saved and then after the great confession his heart was not right look at matthew chapter 16 a familiar portion of scripture to us listen to this verse 13 when jesus came into the coast of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And again, one of the most, the greatest eternal question you can ever ask yourself. Who do men say that I, Jesus, am? And we notice there's a lot of opinions in this text. Look there at verse uh, 14. 
And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he saith unto them, whom, ye, uh, whom say ye that I am? So there's this general broad question that's asked, and well, you're this or you're that. You could be this or you could be that. And then Jesus just, as he did to me in 1987, as he was drawing me, poked his finger right at me and said, who do you say that I am? I don't care what others say. Who do you say that I am? And that's a work, a miraculous work of God. For one to stop in the middle of a blizzard of sin and unholiness and have God just stop you and say, who do you say that I am? Well, listen to Peter's confession. It's beautiful. Look at here what he says. And Simon Peter, verse 16, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Brother, and that's who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we see the miraculous work of God here, the monergistic work on his heart. Look at what it says. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So again, we see this glorious work of God in the heart. Peter says, hmm, I've come to know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's where one must get to. One must believe what God says about his son. And that's exactly what he said. The Christ, the Savior, the anointed one. But it's interesting, brother. Something takes place. And I want you to see this. Peter makes this great confession. And when we just dot ourselves on down to verse number 21, I want you to see what Jesus says. Peter confesses him. And then in verse 21, the Bible says, from that time forth. So in other words, for the rest of the gospel of Matthew, there's this thing that he says here in this verse that is shadowing along the cross all the way along to exemplify, to glorify his resurrection when it takes place. Look at what it says. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be what? Killed and raised again the third day. Now, brethren, it's a stunning thing. You realize this is the first time in the gospel that Jesus says this to them. They've been seeing all the miracles. He's been feeding people. He's been doing all of these things. He's been walking on the water. He's been healing the dead. He's been raising the dead. He's been healing all the pair. He's been doing all of these things. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus says to them, I want you to know that the gospel must take place. I must die. I must be buried. And I must be raised again to life. And brethren, after Peter's good confession, you would think, wouldn't you, that he would have understood from his heart what Jesus said. I want you to see his reaction to Jesus saying, I must die, I must be buried, I must be raised again from the dead. Peter's heart, his mouth confessed it. But at this point, his heart is nowhere near understanding the gospel. Look if you would there. In fact, there's nobody else that I know of that's been called this by the Lord himself. Look at there if you would. And verse 22, right after he says, the Son of Man must be killed and raised again the third day, the resurrection from the dead, 
Verse 22, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. <laughs> Peter can't comprehend the gospel. He can't comprehend the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In fact, look what Jesus says to him in verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, who? Satan. Amazing, brethren. Thou art, a, uh, thou art an offense unto me. Listen, for thou savest not the things be, that be of God, but those of who? Of men. And again, brethren, this matter, the gospel that is tied up in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things, it doesn't matter what men say. What does God say? And here Peter reacts. No. May it never be, Lord, that you're going to be killed and that you're going to be, what? Buried and that you're going to be raised again to life. May it never be. And Jesus tells him, get, me, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind at all. You have the things of men. But it's glorious. It's, it's a glorious thing to see God working on their hearts. And again, this is the hope, brethren, that we all have. That God, as He's drawing, as He's working, as, he's, as the Spirit of God is working on the hearts and minds of men, something glorious happens. It's a stunning thing. And it's one that every believer has indeed experienced. In fact, the second time He tells His disciples, look at Matthew chapter 17. This is the second time He mentions this same thing. And I want you to see their reaction. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Look at verse number 22. Look what the Bible says. This is the second time now he's telling them this. First there in Matthew 16, second time here in Matthew 17. The Bible says, But while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto him, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and at the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceedingly, what, happy? They were exceeding sorry. They could not believe that he said it again, that our Savior is telling us, that he's going to die, that he's going to be buried, and he's going to be resurrected to life. And the Bible says they're exceedingly sorry. And I mean, that word is such a, a proliferation of sadness that he would say it again. He says it a third time in Matthew. Three times he mentions that to them. But again, as I said, there's something that happens to the heart. Peter, again, remember, confessed with his mouth the great confession. I have come to know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you to see how Luke records this transformation. I want you to see this. Again, what did I say, brethren? Paul ties the mouth and the heart together. They are Siamese twins. They cannot be separated on this whatsoever. You could not confess one thing, Jesus as Lord, and then not understand and believe everything that is entwined concerning him the gospel itself. The heart is the matter. Look at Luke, if you would. Look at this, Luke chapter 24. Again, a very, just a, a, a glorious, glorious ending. And again, brethren, this is the thing. It's interesting how the Lord, when he's drawing someone, it could take years. I mean, brethren, do you understand this? It could take years. Anybody out there experienced some years when God's drawing them? I remember in 1985. Now, he never saved me till 1987, but in 1985, the drawing began when I went custom combining in, down in Texas. And I thought I was dying. I literally 
thought I was going to fall over and die in the field. And I remember looking up and saying, as if I had any power over it, I said, Satan, you can't have me. The Lord has me. Well, he didn't yet. For two more years, I lived as a whoremonger, as a lost man. But in 1987, in October of 1987, the Lord did this to me. And if you're saved this morning, he did it to you too. Your heart was changed. Suddenly, as I've said before a million times, I had that old Bible on my mom's end table and get the pledge, Mike, spray it off, company's coming, you got to polish up that Bible. Yeah, that's right, David, Grandma. <laughs> Grandma Gale, spray that up. We got company coming. And I'd spray it up. And oh, it looks nice and shiny in the middle of the table there. Never, ever having one desire to flip it open. What does it say? Until October of 1987. When God did this. Look at it, Luke. What a glorious thing, brethren. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse number 36. I want you to catch a couple of words that we find here in this glorious portion of Scripture. Look at verse 36. Again, Jesus now is resurrected from the dead according to the Scriptures. Again, the Scriptures are always referenced. But look at verse 36. But as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. He's meeting with his disciples after his resurrection. This is what's happened. Look at that. But they were terrified and affrighted. Suppose they had seen a spirit. Now I want you to see Jesus' comment to them, his, his question. He said unto them, why are ye troubled? Why do what thoughts arise where? In your hearts. Why are these thoughts arising in your hearts? Down deep in that secret place. God alone, as I said, God alone, he knows your heart this morning. You know it, he knows it. Just like he knew it here, he knows what they're thinking about the resurrection. They're stunned. This Savior who said he was going to go to the cross, who said he was going to shed his lifeblood for, for sinners, who then went to the grave for three days and three nights, and he told them, I'm going to raise again from the dead. And here they are, stunned. Because what he said actually came to fruition. But in their hearts, they're going, what? What happened? Look at what it says. Again, we see the miraculous work of God. Verse 38, and he said unto them, why are ye troubled? Why do ye thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he thus had spoken... He showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed what? Not. See that? They got this heart condition still. Here he is, resurrected, did exactly what he said he was going to do, and they still believed him not. Again, brother, this is glorious. Look at this. For joy and wondered. And he said unto them, Have ye any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be what? Fulfilled. All the things, everything that's written of me in Scripture, everything. Well, there's still some to be fulfilled. 
He's talking about him, the man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of Christ. All of these things that the scriptures say of me have been fulfilled. Which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Everything. My death, my burial, my resurrection, all of those things. Psalm 22, that was written 1,010 years before. Brethren, think of this. David, David wrote Psalm 22, which is all about what? The crucifixion. He wrote it a thousand years before it was even invented. Think of this, brethren. Think of that. God said this is what's going to happen. And now the Son is fulfilling in real earthly time what God said a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. He goes to the cross. See my hands and my feet, my side. Do you see that? It's me. I've been raised from the dead. Exactly as I said. Exactly as the prophets and Moses and Psalms have said. But look at verse 45. Then he opened their what? Their understanding that they might what? Understand. Brethren, it's not until God does that that one will see the gospel in the glorious light that Paul presents it to us here. All of this bad news becomes really great, beautiful, wonderful news to the one who sees the Lord Jesus Christ and understands who he is. That he, in fact, indwells the gospel. He is the one who was the perfect, sinless son of God. This is the man. This is the God-man that Paul, the Bible, presents to us. Why does this uh, arise in your hearts? Now, look, let's finish that there. He's, he's, he's talking about the heart. We get down there, if you will, at verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written... And thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day. And repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, and ye are witnesses of these things. <laughs> Here we are, brethren. See what the scripture said? Here I am, my hands, my feet, I'm resurrected from the dead. And by the way, this is something that's going to be preached all across the world. As we have seen in the book of Acts, after he is ascended, after the, and the gospel begins to go out, it, it, it is so speedily, it is so mightily moved across Asia and all across, as I said a couple weeks ago, this very thing, these witnesses preached this very thing. Brethren, that's what we preach today, the very same thing. You realize men have not changed. Men have not changed. In fact, while they have, let me say it that way, <laughs> look out at our world. They're getting more and more vile. It's getting more and more wicked, more and more and more. You want to know what will stop it? You know what will intercede it? The gospel. That's it. Nothing else will. Joe Biden can sit there and do all that he's doing. But unless the Lord changes his heart, nothing will change. Your co-workers, your co-workers, the only hope they have is the Lord to open their hearts to this truth. If you're lost this morning, that's the only hope you have. You can't save yourself. I can't save you. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he, the man, the God-man, he, 
indwells the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection, all of those things that go along. Well, let's just finish this up. Look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Romans chapter 10, 13, 14, and 15. I'm so used to going to the book of Acts. We've been in there for almost, I think, three years. <laughs> Romans chapter 10. Look there. Look at verse 13, if you will. Glorious promise, brethren. Again, this is the hope. This is the gospel. This is what the gospel does. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, listen, brethren, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Now we notice here that God's promise is indeed glad tidings and good things. To whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will indeed be saved. God promised that. But to call upon the name of the Lord, again, this is important, means to seek God in the way that he has prescribed it. Again, everything in our text is not about what I think or what I feel like. It's all about what God says. So to call upon the name of the Lord, the only way you can be saved is to call upon the name of the Lord as God prescribed him. Period. That's what it means. <laughs> doesn't mean you go out to the lake and look at a fish and go, oh, look at that, I'm going to call on that fish right there. You call on him as God has prescribed him, as we've seen him here in Scripture. If one says in their heart, God and I have an arrangement on my terms. God and I have a deal on my terms. You are lost. You don't come to Christ on your terms. You come to Christ on God's terms. What God says concerning him. It's an amazing thing. Only those who come by God's prescription, the gospel, which totally and is totally indwells and indwelled by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his eternal sonship, his birth. You know, isn't it amazing as we've, i got to stop, but think of this, brethren, for a moment. What is happening in the Christian community is they are beginning to unhitch from his birth. You know that, right? How many big-time preachers now have said, well, it doesn't matter how he's got here. Yes, it does. It matters because God told us how he got here. It doesn't matter how he got here. It's, well, something cool happened at the end. No, brethren. It matters about his birth. It matters that it happened exactly like Isaiah said it would. Just think of this, brethren. 700 years before it happened, Isaiah wrote these words. It's a stunning thing. That God would be with us. That Emmanuel is going to come. He's going to come in the form of a man-child. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to live a perfect, sinless life. And his whole idea when he comes is not to be shocked by the cross. He knows that's where he's going. And he's going there 
brethren. So that sinners like me and sinners like you can be saved. So that you can have his righteousness imputed to your account. Not the scales. <laughs> your good deeds and bad deeds, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. What you want in your account is his work. You want the gospel of Christ imputed to your account. That's salvation. That's how it comes. It is an amazing thing. Then you're saved. You're rescued and redeemed from all harm and danger. That's what Paul writes or has Tertius write. You call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You call on the name of the Lord as he is depicted in Scripture as God has depicted him. Amazing, isn't it? I want to close, though, with how Paul opened this letter. Because anyone who's been lost and they're saved, this is your heart. This should be your heart and your desire. It should be. Look at verse 1. Look how Paul, I'm going to close with how Paul opened as he addresses his dealings with Israel. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's how he opens it. And then he says this, and I want you to see this again. Religiosity will kill you. It will kill your soul. Because he addresses it in verse 2. I want him to be saved. His prayer and heart's desire. That's mine too. Look at verse 2. He says, for I bear, can't see, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness. Brethren, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That is most of our world's problem today. People are religious. They're going about trying to establish their relationship with God in their own way. I'm good enough. All my good works. Look at God. He's going to look and see my good works. God is going to look at you and say what Isaiah said. All of your righteous works are nothing but filthy rags before God. And ladies, can I say this kind of in a Gentile, genteel kind of way? And Isaiah, when he said that, when he said all of our righteous deeds, he literally, the term that's used there is minstrel cloth. This is how God views your righteous deeds when they come to salvific matters. Now you're saved. When he saves you, there are righteous things we do. But Ephesians 2 tells us that, right? We're saved to do these good works. We're not saved because of these good works. We're saved because of his good work, because of what he has done. Brother, and I pray, as Paul prayed, that the Lord would draw you onto himself, that the Spirit of God would regenerate your own heart, your own mind, because just simply confessing him will not save you. You must, as Paul said, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That is foundational to the truth. And the only way that can happen, brethren, is a mighty work of God in your heart. That you would suddenly, as Calvin said, 
It came upon me suddenly. It took me, well, God did it in two years. It may come upon you suddenly when you might realize, whew, I've offended eternal God. I've broken his law. And there's no way for me to fix it. Therefore, he sends his own lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, as Paul prayed, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. For there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we, we're so grateful for the word of God. It is indeed, as the author of Hebrews wrote, it is sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow, and even the thoughts, here we go, and intents of the heart. That secret place that only the Spirit of God can go along with the person indwelling their body, that place that only they know about. Father, we pray that if there's lost ones here this morning, that they would indeed be pricked to the heart, that the word of God would do its bidding, which it always does. That, Father, you would draw them, that the Spirit would regenerate them, that they would have their eyes open. They can look. The Bible says, look unto the hills. From whence cometh my salvation. Look to the cross. We sang that song this morning. The old rugged cross. Look to the cross. See him there. It's a wondrous. When you're saved, that, that whole bloody scene, the bloody cross, as we sang in the song, becomes a wondrous attraction to you. It means life and death, eternal life and death. Believe on him who died for you who went to the grave for three days and three nights, and yes, indeed, rose again from the grave bodily. And he rose from the grave, and he, the, the author of Acts, Luke himself, says, with many infallible proofs, many infallible proofs. And he taught his disciples for many days, and then he ascended to your right hand, Father. He is there even now, and as we are about to, gather together around the Lord's table to proclaim his death till he come. Yes, he's coming again. He's coming again as king and priest and ruler. He will establish his kingdom. He will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And Father, we anticipate that day. We thank you now. And Father, I pray for the believer this morning that it was indeed an encouragement to them a, if you will, a reminder of the glad tidings that once came upon them. And may we always consider it glad tidings of good things, knowing if we were left in our sin where we would be. So, Father, we love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
supper, we remember as Jesus' body was broken, he asked him to tell you how to So, of course, as a household, may come forward or introduce your families if you are not a member here of this church and not known by the elders. 